Welcome to the discussion, Trust Who Your Data Tells You To, sponsored by Splunk. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Sean Connolly. He's the TIC Program Manager at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, part of Homeland Security, and Brigadier General Chad Radigi. He's Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance at the Headquarters Air Combat Command for the U.S. Air Force. It's good to have you both on. And let's get right into it. The world has changed a lot. Here we are more than six months into a pandemic that has forced agencies, both military and civilian, into this mass telework. And so cybersecurity is really something I think agencies are still exploring. They've done a pretty good job of buttoning things up so far. So maybe if you would, and Sean, we'll start with you, just tell us how the approach has changed as a result of the change in the workforce makeup, the advent of commercial clouds was coming on strong then, and also maybe some of the advice you're giving agencies from the CISA standpoint. Sure, thank you for having me on, Tom. So that current surge in telework that you talked about, right, um, as, the, as the workforce was being dispersed and as the networks themselves are being dispersed, we had the old tick two model, which was that traditional castle and moat, that network perimeter that everyone defended. Um, but when we released our guidance, our draft guidance in December, and then when the telework surge happened, we heard very quickly from agencies, they needed uh, new guidance coming out pretty quickly to support the requirements they were hearing from their mission owners and their users. So um, as the guidance was being updated and we released an interim guidance in April, it really reflected what OMB was hearing, GSA was hearing, we were hearing from the agencies themselves. And it was how that old model where it was the fixed assets, the desktops, on the, on the network lands, and now where it was more uh, unfixed, if you will, assets, the mobile, the tablets and stuff, on someone's home network or some Wi-Fi somewhere. And then also how the cyber attack themselves, what the adversaries were doing, was changing. Before under TIC2, it was about protecting assets, maybe in uh, the, uh, TIC, the DMZ, having protecting the DNS server at the DMZ or the email server. Really that change. Now you're starting to see where the adversary they set up a fake social uh, networking profile, trying to gain trust with the user. They're trying to scan uh, cloud services to see something that's misconfigured. And so the landscape, landscape has changed, the threat has changed. And so with that, the guidance that we came out with reflected that. At the same time, you're seeing other guidance come out. Both uh, FBI and Assistant Partnership came out with an advisory in August, talking about some of the new threats coming out. So the, the adversary has shifted their tactics. And so we've moved past that traditional network perimeter from before. So in, in April, I mentioned that draft guidance. We released the telework guidance. It helps agencies as they want to uh, start moving possibly toward a micro-segmentation or even toward a zero-trust environment. Zero trust, uh, as everyone recognizes, where you don't assume trust. Trust has to be built, reestablished all the time. So those type of environments are what we're trying to move and support uh, moving forward. Okay, and, and General Radigi, I mean, the Air Force and the military has always had a defense in-depth approach to the networks that it operates, and there's levels of secret and top secret and open networks, but how have things changed with so many people teleworking and the military also moving to less reliance on its own data centers? Tom, um, thank you for the question, and it's uh, my pleasure to join uh, this, uh, this great panel and discussion. I think as you alluded to, Tom, uh, we, we, have, we have made uh, very good strides in our United States Air Force uh, to, to get after the future network. 
some of that was a, a journey that we've been on for a little while. There was recognition, even pre-COVID, that uh, our, our legacy network that we were, uh, that we were operating at, at multiple different layers and levels uh, was under-resourced. We also recognized that uh, to move forward, we were not postured to take advantage of some of the uh, IT trends that are out there, whether it's artificial intelligence, machine learning, quantum, 5G technologies. We were just not postured for that. What we discovered very quickly in the uh, response to, uh, to COVID and the mass teleworking uh, requirements that were thrust upon us is that we needed to adjust. And so we recognized that the network attack surface uh, exponentially grew overnight. And so as a cybersecurity professional, as one that is talking to our cybersecurity uh, professionals on a daily basis and making sure that they're protecting our, our Air Force network, that was a big concern for us. So if nothing more, we have had a recommitment to, uh, to building out the future network. And so we start thinking in terms of uh, a closer alignment with industry. This is some work that we've been doing on an, on, uh, an as-a-service model. We have uh, taken a renewed focus on uh, recognizing the sophisticated cyber threats that are out there, some of those that, that Sean mentioned, and how do we protect our weapon systems. Uh, there has been a renewed emphasis on interconnectivity. So you start hearing about some of the things that the Department of Defense is doing from a joint all-domain command and control. This is really about a network of sensors that are all connected with one another, resiliency built in, the, the, the movement of data back and forth uh, for everyone to see and make decisions based on. And then finally, uh, there's been a renewed focus on expeditionary communications environment. So as you read the National Defense Strategy and you recognize the near-peer adversary threats that are out there, it requires a different model. And so we've been thinking about how do we employ uh, agile combat employment in the future? And our recognition has been that the zero trust principles that Sean did a nice job of laying out, that is, that is the future. Specifically, as we responded to the, uh, the COVID response, uh, you know, we always had um, strong endpoint security uh, strategy in place. What we recognized immediately, though, was that we were not postured to account for that, that increased network attack surface. And so, uh, if anything, the lesson that we have learned from the COVID response has been the power of relationships. And we have a, uh, a more focused group right now than, than we've ever had between the acquisition professionals, our, uh, our policy professionals, our operators at 16th Air Force, and then our organized train and equip headquarters functions. That, that relationship between those, those vast different groups all coming together and thinking about the, the IT that we need for the future has been our, our, our most powerful uh, lesson learned coming out of COVID. Okay, excellent. And I want to follow up a little bit on this zero trust idea that you both mentioned that this is where government seems to be headed in an architectural standpoint. To be able to trust, though, requires data. And at one time, all you needed, you know, if the username and the password matched, that constituted trust. So what, what kinds of information are needed uh, in this day and age of zero trust? And when, where do you, what kinds of sources do you look at to establish the environment such that you can establish trust in a in a trustworthy way, I guess. Sean? Sure, yeah, that, that's a great question. There's that algorithm I think you're alluding to. What do you need to do to establish and reestablish that trust? And you, you, you hit the nail on the head, 
time when you talked about identity access management. That's where it all starts is the identity of the user, the application itself. And then you also want to enrich that in different ways. You have the access controls allowing the user, the data, the, the sessions themselves to be able to access. And before in the, the TIC2 model, that castle and moat, everything had to be funneled through those finite access points for to, to enforce that trust. But now with cloud and the way security scaled out, now you can move those policies closer to the data itself, closer to the client itself. So the scale has changed, the scale of the telemetry coming to you and the, the, the amount of data, the variety of data that's available. All that's greatly changed in the last few years. So the algorithm has all that type of uh, um, different uh, elements we just talked about. Also, the network analysis itself is still critically important. The telemetry coming off of the different cloud services that you may be accessing via different APIs is also important. And then the different Intel feeds, it's another great way to be able to uh, be, be aware and establish that trust itself. So all those different elements together build up that algorithm. And it's key to understand that it's, it's a cycle now. It's not just a one-time establish of the trust. It's a continual uh, reestablishment of that trust throughout the whole session itself. And you mentioned Intel feeds. What, what uh, do you mean oh, by that? Sure, Intel feeds. Um, both commercial and private feeds that can come uh, that uh, have different uh, tactics and protocols, the ports, the address, the IP addresses of the adversaries. You can, you can enrich your uh, access controls with that type of telemetry, that those Intel feeds. So when the, the policy enforcement point is making decisions, they can look at what, what we know on the adversaries, what the commercial products know on the adversaries and decide, okay, is this a trusted user or does this have some of the, uh, uh, different ways that an adversary be trying to establish trust also. So in other words, the, the items needed to establish trust have increased by quite a number. And if any one of them doesn't work, say everything is correct about the location and so on, and seeming other factors of trust of this individual trying to log on, say, to a system, if the Intel feed shows, but yeah, but that IP address is something on a right. blacklist, then forget it. Sure. Was this, was this domain just recently stood up? What is this coming from an Eastern European country? Was this never, uh, uh, was this uh, IP address never seen before? All elements you can use to establish that algorithm. I forget if it's through the ACT, I ACT uh, white papers that come out on Zero Trust. Also, just full disclosure, my name's on, I'm one of the authors of the NIST uh, Zero Trust uh, paper that came out. I forget where it was, but I think one of them talked about how there's now well over a hundred different elements you can use to build the algorithm out. Okay, and uh, is that the same approach in the Air Force pretty much, uh, General Radigan? I mean, do you see that the enrichment of trust by data? By, by data, the, the, the ingestion of, of large amounts of data and then making decision qualities based on that uh, is, is absolutely true. And so I, I agree with, uh, with what Sean said. You know, we have, we have a number of endpoint security uh, systems and technologies and products that are out there that are all feeding a big data platform that we're, we're, we're monitoring. We have verification on, uh, you know, the DISA STIGs that are in place and are we, uh, are we compliant with, uh, with those individual things. Uh, and then as Sean mentioned, you know, the, the threat intel, we're getting vast amounts of reporting, not only internal to, uh, to the federal government, but our commercial partners as well, the open source reporting that is out there. That is, that is feeding our cybersecurity professionals and allowing them to make informed decisions. I think the important point though, Tom, is that uh, this, is, this is a kind of a snapshot of where we are today. And there is very much a recognition that this is not good enough uh, as we move forward. And so that's what I think the zero trust um, 
future this zero trust strategy is all about. It's, it's thinking about the old perimeter security and it's now thinking about how do you protect the data, whether that's in transit or whether that's at rest. We start using some principles uh, and Sean referenced some of these. We're, we're moving quickly from network location to identity. We're moving from domain credentials to device compliance. We're now thinking in terms of trusting implicitly versus now you have to prove that you are trustworthy. We're moving from, hey, you have full access, kind of that castle and moat approach. You have full access to now you have limited access based on what you need and only based on uh, your proven uh, trustworthiness. So these are some of the things that we're building in uh, to our DOD uh, frameworks as we're moving forward. And just uh, briefly, I guess it's, it's fair to say, too, that all this has to happen at wire speed, too, these this types of automated decision-making. Our, our adversaries are, are now so quick in the way that they're making decisions. Uh, it, it is decision speed. It is, uh, there is an urgency to, uh, to stay ahead of the, the decision space so that we can uh, stay one step ahead of our adversary. Absolutely. Okay, on that note, we'll take a short break. My guests today are Sean Connolly, the TIC Program Manager for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS, and Brigadier General Chad Radigee. He's Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance at Headquarters Air Combat Command for the U.S. Air Force. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is Trust Who Your Data Tells You to Trust, sponsored by Splunk here on Federal News Network. Technology advances like cloud, mobile, and microservices are transforming the public sector to deliver services as efficiently as commercial businesses and do so with a remote workforce. To ensure resiliency and manage enterprise risk better, agencies are encouraged to adopt a new model called Zero Trust that emphasizes continuous monitoring for access validation. Splunk can help agencies get started with their Zero Trust initiative, increase confidence in access decisions, and better manage risk. Learn how at splunk.com slash public sector. Welcome back to our discussion, Trust Who Your Data Tells You To, sponsored by Splunk here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Brigadier General Chad Radigee. He's Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance at Headquarters Air Combat Command at the U.S. Air Force. And we have Sean Connolly, the TIC Program Manager at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before the discussion, we were before the break, we were talking about uh, the data sources and the use of data and algorithms to ensure the trustworthiness of those people coming into our networks and all of the data informing that. That implies that there's maybe a new workflow for cybersecurity. There's an algorithm in some ways is the central tool workflow. Uh, so maybe uh, starting with you, Chad, we could talk about what are some of the ways you're changing the workflows at the machine level and maybe branch that up to the people level where you have a network operations center, a security operations center, and how the whole work operates to get to this zero trust mass telework type of mode that we're all in now. Thanks for the question, Tom. I'll, I'll stick with, uh, with my expertise uh, and, and kind of the job that I'm in right now. You know, my, my primary function is to organize, train, and equip. Uh, and so as we start thinking about the zero trust environment and the strategy that we're trying to implement, not only in the Air Force, but then also trying to influence uh, the broader DOD and federal government, my, my workflow tends to focus on organize, train, and equip. And so as you indicated, on the organization front, we're quickly moving from a, uh, a model that we have, uh, that we have grown uh, to be accustomed to in the, in the United States military 
uh, to one that more mimics uh, what industry has already done. And so, as you alluded to, that, that includes the network operations centers and the security operations centers and finding out how those two important entities uh, talk with one another and how they share information. Uh, we're getting uh, very interested in uh, equipping our SOCs, our security operations centers, with an enterprise SIM capability. So the security information and event management, the ability to, uh, to harvest large amounts of information and make decisions based on what we see. On the training front, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're focused on putting our cybersecurity experts through uh, new and innovative uh, ways of keeping current on the, on, the, on the technologies that are out there. In some cases, that's formal schoolhouses. In some cases, that's, uh, that's taken advantage of some of the uh, large pop-up opportunities that we've seen in this COVID environment, where we're doing a lot of collaborated uh, training online and learning from, uh, from others. And so that's, that's part of the, the T. Now the E, I think, is, is where we have, uh, we've already got a lot of stuff in place. Uh, so we have uh, some of the software-based agents that are out there, whether it's your HBSS or your SCCM or your Tanium. We have a whole bunch of event logs that come in into a big data platform. And so we're, we're seeing all of those things. Our recognition has been that, uh, that we are not uh, robust enough on the automation. And so as in, in, the, in the previous discussion, we talked about the need for speed. And so we get to a speed environment by automating as much of that process as possible, bringing in large amounts of information, but analyzing what's going on, looking for behavior analytics, looking at the log analysis, doing all of those things to allow the, uh, the high-end cyber operators to focus on, on those anomalies and not be beat down by the mundane. Because earlier you mentioned too that you have the data generated by logs and so forth and also commercially provided data that is related to cybersecurity and trust and, and, and uh, user behavior. So that must add a wrinkle of complication to analyze those types of data from these multiple and maybe not always matching sources to be able to come up with actionable information or, or, or information that algorithms can deal with for what needs to be automated. Tom, you make, you make a very, very good point. The complexity of, of our Air Force network uh, is, uh, is very robust. We do have a number of different uh, security systems, products, tools, applications that are all in place. And so it's, it's that integration uh, that, as you alluded to, creates the complexity. So absolutely, we're, uh, we're focused on reducing that complexity. Uh, we have a number of initiatives that, that are going on to take a look at transactional paths to take a look at the security stacks that we have in place and recognizing what, what are the key things that each of those products do and then how can we reduce some of those, uh, those products out so that we have a, a streamlined approach the way that we manage our networks and manage our security response. All right, and Sean, you wanna tackle that one? Workflows and automation and the whole knock sock situation. Sure, if we can, uh take this out a little bit. So there's these two camps we always hear about between monitoring and observing, right? Monitoring is more about uh, watching the known unknowns of a system. It understands a system itself. It's very specific as the, uh, the, uh, um, what's being fed, the intel, what's being monitored. It's much more uh, high resolution, more system metrics and logs. It's very uh, laser focused, a tight aperture, if you will. And then the observing camp is more trying to observe 
the unknown unknowns, looking for the abnormal. Um, it's much more abstract, high cardinality, meaning many unique items in that data set, a data set, high dimensionality, mean different contexts of that system. What's a system look like if it's a, a, a normal system? What's it look like if a, some of the system's down? What does it look like when a user accesses the system? What does it look like when the system's backing up? It's much more broad focused. So from CISA, we're trying to thread both those needles at once, that, that monitoring camp and then that observing camp itself. Um, so as uh, we've uh, moved forward to tick 3 acrossgovernor internally to CISA, we've also moved forward. So um, on our, our website, and if you look in the search engine for CISA and TIC, should be one of the first hits where all the TIC guidance is. There's also another uh, guidance out there available to agencies, uh, TIC and NCPS, NCPS National Cybersecurity uh, Protective uh, System. This is the method, one of the methods, I should say, how CISA gains awareness onto, those, uh, onto the agency's networks themselves. And so with this new system, we, we call it CLAW, Cloud Log Aggregation Warehouse. So we're working with agencies to gain new types of telemetry above and beyond what was available before uh, with the traditional sensors when we had the traditional tick to castle mode uh, system. But through those, that telemetry coming in, we have analytical tools that still support that prevention, detection, and response activities as before. Just the, the amount of telemetry is talked about before the variety, the velocity has greatly increased. Um, one thing that's different is with the cloud services, we're looking to use a lot more of the native cloud telemetry that's available from the, from the cloud providers themselves. And we also look at some third party, there's some uh, security vendors, the service that we're also using to enrich our awareness of that data. So all those type of data sets are now coming into us a way where it's a, a, a migration past where we were before. And to the extent that you can describe it securely, uh, Generati, what types of predictive analytics do you do? I mean, I think of one form of analytics as being able to say, you know, stop that person or don't allow this this event to take place on the network because of what we know now. But the predictive analysis, I guess, allows organizations to maybe know what's around the corner, so to speak. And what kinds of resources do you have in place for, for looking ahead on a data basis? Yeah, Tom, I, I think the answer to your question is uh, we, we don't have enough in place yet. We have, a, we have a vision, we have an understanding of where we want to go. We talked about those behavior analytics. We talked about the ability to pull together a whole bunch of data uh, and, and aggregate that and make decisions based on that. But this is, this is the bright future that we're pursuing. And so I, you know, what I'll tell you, Tom, is that we've been on this journey uh, in the United States Air Force for uh, nearly two years now. Uh, in January of, uh, of this year, uh, even before the COVID response started taking place, uh, Colonel James Lotspeech from our staff hosted an enterprise uh, Air Force-wide uh, Zero Trust Summit to start getting after some of these things. Recognition that we needed more artificial intelligence, more machine learning uh, to be brought in place with all of the things that we already have. We have made firm commitments to try and, uh, and, and build out those relationships that we talk about. So whether it's with industry, whether it's with our joint partners, whether it's with academia, uh, everybody has great ideas on the way that these things can come together. The recognition and the realization, uh, however, is that this is, this is a hard transition. And, uh, and so that's where we are today. There is, a, uh, there is a, the reality of we have a legacy network that is in place right now 
that is enabling the, uh, the, the missions of our United States Air Force to fly, fight, and win. We're doing those things right now. As we start thinking about breaking a whole new paradigm and building a new network in parallel, that becomes uh, pretty difficult. And so we do that uh, and, and we are taking the approach that we're gonna do this uh, smartly, that we're gonna have a strategy in place, that we're gonna have full coordination with the United States Cyber Command, for example. We have published a uh, concept of operations that has been approved by Cyber Command uh, for the Air Force to go out and pilot a zero trust implementation. Um, we're taking a look at a software defined perimeter associated with our Office 365 environment. And so we've got about a thousand users that are going through testing right now uh, on that, uh, that new zero trust uh, effort that we're pursuing. So part of that is going to inform the network of the future. And, uh, and that network of the future is gonna be uh, you know, organized with the, uh, the knock and sock and SIM that we talked about. It's gonna have the technology that's in place, but more importantly, it's gonna have some of that emerging technology that we need to, uh, that we need to build in for that predictive analysis, the machine learning, the artificial intelligence, the ability to analyze high amounts of data uh, and get better and quicker. Yeah, and Sean, in the minute we have left, I guess I wanted to ask you too that uh, what's something that uh, Chad said is really important, and that is that you need to have algorithms that are informed by machine learning. Because just to take a simple example of say Marge, who used to come to the office nine to five, is now a teleworker, and maybe she's taking care of the kids' education in math from two to four in the afternoon. So she may log on at 11 p.m. or 3 a.m., which would be an anomaly in some systems, but now it's kind of normal for people that are not coming to the office. So maybe just briefly discuss the, the need to adapt in this data-driven analytical approach. No, I think the Brigadier General was spot on when he was talking about how we were just starting down that, that path of learning about the new telemetry and how, how, how it adapts to this new environment, as you mentioned, Tom. Uh, just to give an example of the speed necessary, uh, a typical online platform or video platform like the one we're on today, uh, just from one side of the uh, connection to the other, it typically needs uh, around 150 milliseconds to operate. Any, any higher uh, speed and you'll start to notice jitter or lag. Well, the blink of an eye is 200 milliseconds. So you need to be, this needs to be faster than a blink of an eye. At the same time, to do this securely, have this connection be secure. So it's just the, the time involved, as, as you're alluding to, we need to start moving toward more automation, enriching it within the Intel feeds that we mentioned before, and being able to more automate the whole process itself. Um, I mentioned the NCPS, the Einstein team before. Internally at CISA, we also uh, have our very large program, the CDM program, Continual Diagnostic Mitigation. We're working with the agencies to put more sensors and more tools to the agencies so they can monitor their environments in different ways. And these are, these are just a couple of the primary programs we're using to gain that type of awareness, both the agency for their awareness and for CISA, from our, from our vantage point, we have that uh, perspective of watching the .gov horizon, that whole panoramic horizon. So we are moving down that same path that the DOD is moving down also. All right. Well, I think everyone can be glad that we have gentlemen like you on the job here. I want to thank today's guests. Sean Connolly is the TIC Program Manager for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS, and Brigadier General Chad Radigee. 
He's the Director of Cyberspace and Information Dominance at the Headquarters Air Combat Command for the U.S. Air Force. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This is Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, be sure to log on to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Splunk. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Trust Who Your Data Tells You To, sponsored by Splunk on Federal News Network.